0: Hello and welcome to Meandering with Myrn, a potpourri podcast by me, veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. Join me as I ponder any and all things animal and human, what we know and what we don't, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. Does your cat or dog display any behaviors that fall into your unspeakable animal behaviors category? What about wild animal behaviors? A list of such behaviors immediately might occur to you, but most of us also will acknowledge that our list may vary from those compiled by others. People worldwide routinely pass judgment on a wide variety of animal behaviors. Some of those perceived as unspeakable evolved for cultural reasons and others for religious ones. Consequently, it comes as little surprise that normal animal sexual behaviors fall into the realm of unspeakable for many people. And when people consider common normal animal sexual behaviors unspeakable, it's even less of a surprise that less common but also normal sexual behaviors land in that category too. Likewise for any sexual behaviors displayed by spayed or neutered dogs or cats. Behaviors that even remotely suggest that these animals might possess a sexual identity often heads their owner's list of unspeakable animal behaviors. Our society currently legitimizes this orientation by referring to these animals using the pronoun it. But although some pet owners may choose to deny or negatively label some of their pet's behaviors that upset them, no such thing as an unthinkable animal behavior exists for ethologists. Among other reasons, ethologists recognize the vital role behavioral diversity plays in any species' survival This includes all those unthinkable behaviors related to those unthinkable sexual orientations. Without those, many species alive today might not exist at all. To put this in perspective, consider our own species. Genetic analysis indicates that all humans alive today descended from an original population of 100,000 individuals in the Pliocene era. The Pliocene era began 5.3 million years ago and ended 2.6 million years later. Evidence also suggests that this population dropped to a mere 10,000 individuals during the Pleistocene epoch that followed and ended about 11,700 years ago this period included multiple ice ages followed by more temperate spells most of the plant and animal species including humans alive then still are today Compared to the current estimated world population of 7.8 billion people, we modern humans have far more similarities with than differences from each other. And if your ancestors hail from the huge landmass called Eurasia, as mine do, you also might have some Neanderthal genes too. This all adds up to 99.9% of the total genetic material all humans share with each other, and 99% of which we also share with chimpanzees. But what does any shared genetic heritage mean for us or members of any species hoping to survive? It means that we and they must have the capacity to produce offspring capable of doing likewise in an unlimited number of physical and mental environments in an unpredictable world. It means that physiological and behavioral diversity is a must for species survival. Currently, we can see how this plays out in wild animal populations in an era of accelerated climate change and habitat destruction those populations or species capable of adapting survive those who can't are eliminated for one reason or another among the increasing kinds of reproductive adaptations in species survival natural hybridization The mating of males and females from different species is gaining interest. Humans have created animal and plant hybrids for centuries. Sometimes for practical reasons, sometimes for scientific reasons, and other times just to prove they could. But although this is a fairly common practice, Many scientists dismissed the role natural hybridization could play in preserving at least part of a species gene pool. Consider the increased temperatures and the associated melting of the polar ice cap and loss of habitat that force polar bears to adapt to a warmer environment or die. Simultaneously, grizzly bears seeking a more optimal environment began moving north with the warmer weather. A few of these animals in both species were genetically predisposed to mate with members of a different species. Surprisingly, and unlike a lot of human-orchestrated hybrid mating, natural ones like the polar bear grizzly resulted in offspring who were fertile rather than sterile. Other animal behaviors probably helped to set the stage for this adaptation. Via his famous imprinting experiment, ethologist Conrad Lorenz demonstrated how young goslings are genetically predisposed to follow the first being they see during a critical early developmental period. Ideally, this would be their own mothers. If not, this would create problems when the young reach sexual maturity. Studies of some wild duck species also revealed natural imprinting but also an evolutionarily favorable variation on this theme. If these ducklings encountered a female of a different duck species during their critical mom identification period, their response to other ducks would vary based on their sex when they reached maturity. The males would ignore females of their own species and only attempt to mate with females belonging to the same species as their imprinted moms. When they attempted to do this, both females and males of the same species as hers would attack and drive off the imprinted male. On the other hand, the imprinted females retain their true species identity. When they reach maturity, They only would mate with males belonging to their own species. At first glance, this might seem like a cruel joke played by nature, but recall that nature is in this thing we call life for the long haul. While the imprinted male's behavior would work against their reproductive success, In an environment that supported same-species heterosexual sex, it also would ensure the survival of at least part of the species' gene pool should access to same-species mates be impossible and alternative reproduction strategies become necessary. Which brings us back to natural hybridization. It's possible that neither the polar bears nor the grizzlies who engaged in these cross-species matings would have succeeded in stable habitats with stable populations of their respective species. Under those circumstances, the probability that they even would have met would have been relatively low. If they had happened to meet, the same overtures most likely would have been rebuffed and even punished. Nevertheless, the willingness to mate with a member of another species is an effective strategy for preserving at least part of the species gene pool during an extended period when conditions don't support the survival of those species separately. At some time later, when conditions do improve, The hybrids may evolve into separate species once again. Evidence of females of other species that typically engage in heterosex, giving birth to offspring without the benefit of any male, also became more common as the climate changed. Called parthenogenesis, This reproductive strategy results in young identical to the parent. In a harsh environment in which the female succeeds long enough to reach maturity, she passes on the potential that will enable her female offspring to do likewise. At some point when the environmental conditions become more favorable, a return to heterosexual reproduction may occur providing the potential exists in the species gene pool to support such a transformation. For centuries, naturalists, scientists, and farmers have recognized a full range of sexual orientations normally found in multiple animal species. In addition to those mentioned, These also include homosexuality and bisexuality, among others. These and other reproductive strategies may seem appalling, immoral, or illegal to some within the walls of their churches, mosques, synagogues, or courtrooms. We and our media may feel more comfortable reducing all animals to sexless it's. However, as we watch the full range of reproduction options unfurl as multiple species worldwide fight for their existence in a rapidly changing environment, I, for one, and am in awe of the role diversity plays. You've been listening to a podcast by veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. For more podcasts, commentaries, and books about animal behavior and the human animal bond, and links to behavior and bond sites, check out my website at www.mmilani.com. For more specific information, feel free to email me at, mm at mmmmilani.com. All rights related to the content of these podcasts are retained by Myrna Milani. The background music, Molly on the Shore by Percy Granger, is used with permission from Katova Arts, www.katova.com.